There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League Rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard, and get ready for an hour nothing but NRL tour. Welcome to the second edition of the fifth and last podcast with Brock and Lewis. Great for everyone that downloaded last week. Much appreciated off iTunes and also Podomatic. And uh, also thanks for liking the Facebook page and anyone that's hopped on the Twitter so far. If you haven't done so, feel free to get on board. We're on Facebook, Twitter. We've also got the email. We'll chuck out those details later on. But for now, jumping straight into the second episode. Uh, This week, obviously, we'll be reviewing four more teams. The teams that are up on the chopping block this week will be the Gold Coast Titans, the Manly Seagulls, the Melbourne Storm, and the Newcastle Knights. On top of that, we'll be joined by Mr. Gossip, who will call him with all the news. If anyone that doesn't know, there's a page on Facebook, NRL Gossip, which is his. So get on top of that, get onto Facebook, get onto Twitter, you can find him there. We'll also be joined by MG, Big Mark Guy, who will be joining us for 10 in the bin a segment where we'll be talking to him throughout the year about all issues in rugby league. This week in particular, we would like to touch on the drug scandal and obviously some trial form and his thoughts for the upcoming season. But for now, uh, obviously, we're going to start off by recapping last week, which uh, we touched on the first four teams that we thought what positions they'd finish in the eight and how they'd go this year. And also, we had a quick look at the drug scandal, which obviously we haven't had too much more news pop up on and it's starting to be a bit of a joke to be quite honest There's, in the media people are starting to question the legitimacy and we're obviously seeing clubs such as uh, the Raiders and North Queensland pop up and start to have a bit of a bite about it but we'll talk a bit more about that later on once we have MG on for 10 in the bin so to start things off first of all we'll just run through some of the trial results from the weekend the Tigers defeated Parramatta 41-4 the Cowboys defeated the Dragons 28-22. The Titans beat the Broncos 16-14. The Knights beat Souths 18-6. The Raiders played a half against the Wyong, the brand new team in the New South Wales Cup, winning 28-0-1 at the first half. And the second half playing Mounties, winning 12-8. The Penrith Panthers beat the Warriors 32-18. And the final trial of the weekend, the Roosters beat Manly 20-4. Not going to touch too much on the form in those trials. Obviously, uh, a lot of first graders probably had their first run this week, but the only real main things we'd like to take out of that so far is that Jeremy Smith has been put on report for a lifting tackle. Uh, From what we've seen, obviously, I don't think too much is going to come of that. And the only other major news to probably come out of the weekend is Dale Copley of the Brisbane Broncos will be out for the rest of this season. He's had an injury to his right patella and will not take part in the 2013 season. So... uh, that's bad luck there for Dale and the Broncos. But uh, kicking things off, I've got Brock here with me. Say hello, Brock. Hey, guys. Um, I actually went out to the uh, Parramatta West Tigers game last night, and um, 
I've got to tell you, I wasn't very impressed with Parramatta. Um, I know Ricky Stewart's hosed down um, the performance today in the media, but um, from what I saw last night, things don't uh, look like they're going to change at Parramatta, unfortunately for Parramatta fans. But, um, you know, it was it was a tough night for them last night. Uh, on the West Tigers um, side of things, they, they look fairly impressive. They look like they've um, got a little bit more structure with Mick Potter, which I think will help them moving forward. Robbie Farrar um, and Benjamin Marshall, they played the first probably 40 minutes, 50 minutes um, before they were taken off the field. But by that time, the game was uh, pretty much over. Yeah, well, we heard a fair bit today in the media, and obviously the, the big raps came towards Marshall and Astor and Galloway. Uh, and Astor, of course, grabbing a double. Benji Marshall supposedly uh, really ran the roost, and Keith Galloway quite dominant. Uh, in other games, obviously, Michael Morgan in that North Queensland game uh, solidified himself to probably be the start number seven. And we've heard that, obviously, Scott Moore, the English international, is uh, looking quite sharp. So for the Cowboys, that's uh, definitely not a bad thing when you've lost James Seguiaro to Penrith as well. For Parramatta last night, um, young, is it Jake Mullaney? Yep, Jake, Jake Mullaney, Mullaney played fullback. He was, he was very impressive. Um, he did a lot of dirty clean-up work for Parramatta. He chased uh, chased down a try at one point there. Um, he tried really hard last night. He impressed me. Luke Kelly also, I thought he was um, pretty sharp around the halves. Played a little bit of hooker. Um, but for Parramatta, they just they looked a little bit um, short of answers in terms of their attack um, variation. Uh, their defence, goal-line defence, didn't look that great, but... Again, you can't really take much out of a trial, but uh, things certainly didn't look that positive for Parramatta last night. And uh, I think the main concern you've probably got there is Stewart's been talking about all the defensive work they've been putting in, 41-4, to and the only players they were really missing were Matua, Smith and Hayne. Besides that, pretty much a full-strength lineup doesn't say too much about uh, spending your whole off-season worrying about defence, does it? No, but Ricky Stewart's a smart operator. I'm sure he's... um... You know, he'd want to have another plan. He'd want to have some plans heading into the final three weeks. I guess we'll probably be able to see more heading into this weekend's game when they play Penrith at Centibet Stadium. Um, that'll give us a better indication of probably where both sides are at because Penrith looked fairly impressive or their result looked fairly impressive from the weekend against the Warriors. So, uh, yeah, moving forward, things are looking good for some sides and not so great for others, but there's still uh, three weeks until the, the first ball is kicked. Yeah, well, out of these other trial games, obviously uh, I didn't hear too much as far as standout performers for the Titans-Broncos game. It was uh, said to be quite a tightly contested game, and the only real news to come out that was obviously Copley's injury. Uh, for the Knights game, Tyron Roberts supposedly stood out like a broken thumb, which is a real positive for him because he's obviously looking to maintain a halves position. Most think that he'll end up being the number 14 off the bench, but... With the way Jared Mullen struggled last year and the master coach in charge, I could really see that he's starting to take a liking to him. And if that's the case, Mullen may be on his last legs this year, I think. And from what Wayne Bennett said on the news today, he, Tyron Roberts will definitely be in his 17 moving forward this season. So that's a positive for young Tyron. I guess last year he, he sort of struggled. He was in and out of the side. So uh, for this season, it looks like he'll, he'll have his uh, spot cemented, which is a positive for him. And for the Knights, I'll have a little bit of cohesion in the halves, which will definitely help and will help uh, Kirk Gidley and Jared Mullen, as you said. Yeah, well, moving on from that as well, obviously we've already mentioned that Smith's on report. Uh, the Raiders game, not too much to speak of. They started off with a, a pretty strong lineup, but obviously moved on to 
most of those young forwards they've got banked up from the New South Wales Cup from their 20s. They won 28-0 and 12-8 against Wyong and Mounties. Uh, Penrith, very good signs for them after two trials. Brock, I think uh, impressive, especially this weekend, was Lachlan Coote again at six. And Lewis Brown finally looking like he's going to get a solid opportunity to play back row more consistently. Look, I've got a little bit of involvement at Penrith in obviously the junior reps. Um, you know, I don't have I don't have a great um, deal to do with first grade or you know know the inside word out of what's coming out of first grade or what they're doing and all that sort of stuff. But what I can comment on is that you know since Gus has been involved at the club, um, he's obviously brought in Ivan. Ivan's also brought in um, guys like Matty Cameron from Parramatta, and you know since those guys have come into the club and the structures that they've brought with them, um, the club's definitely on an upward swing. I guess the recruitments that Penrith were able to obtain over the off-season, they're going to improve them. Um, you'd think moving forward, obviously losing Lewis, Jennings, Gordon were not ideal, but f- you know, from a salary cap perspective, I guess they were probably losses that the club needed to have in the short term. Um, you know, If you read, read between the lines in terms of what the papers speculate that those players were on. So I guess in the long term for Penrith fans, they were probably the right moves. Um, and as long as you know the recruits that they're bringing in now are going to give them um, positive performances, um, that's going to be a real positive moving forward for the Panthers. I, I think they'll have an improved season this year, um, and they're definitely a club on the up. And as I said, I can only comment on the vibe that I'm getting from within the place. And um, it's, a, it's a much more professional club um, more cohesive club, and it's a, it's a more um, club as you know. As such, it goes from NRL all the way down. Whereas um, in years gone past, when I've been involved at the club, it hasn't hasn't been that way. So um, yeah, positive positive signs for Penrith, but we'll uh, we'll see in the long run this season. The only other result to touch on there: the Roosters and Manly game. Obviously, uh, things not too great for Manly. Still, a lot of players with some issues. Brett Stewart, obviously, having a his trouble after the headbutting incident the other week. Glenn Stewart's going to be out for at least the first six weeks with an ongoing knee injury. Watmau, who's pulled out of that All-Stars game with a hip problem. Uh, there's definitely a few issues there, but the Roosters, uh, nothing too crash hot. Uh, Trent Robinson, the new coach, was pretty impressed with their defensive efforts and obviously debuts to Jennings and Maloney having their first run. They were both pretty solid. Jennings grabbed a, a pretty dirty try in the Left-hand corner with a marker, and the, the winger let him get outside. Don't know how, but uh, yeah, twenty to four there. But, uh, what that... um, what made that result more um, probably stand out more for me was that uh, Mitchell Pearce and Sonny Bill Williams didn't play. So um, I know that you know obviously a few Manly players didn't play, but I wasn't really impressed with the Roosters last year. So um, hopefully things are on the up there at, at East as well. So well, that's leaving Luke O'Donnell out of the equation as well. That's, that's yet, yet to be seen with his age and being overseas for a couple of years, what he's going to bring, but knowing the kind of player he was before he left and uh, the condition he was in, I can definitely see him coming back in healthy and playing 80 minutes straight away. He was easily probably one of the top 30 players when he left in the NRL. Would you agree with that? I'd definitely say he was one of the top five back rows in my eyes. Yeah, so whether, whether or not he's lost a step, um, if he has lost a step, where does that put him in terms of um, where the game's moved. Obviously, the game moves very fast over here, so we probably don't see it because we're we're uh, just constantly watching it. But I mean, jumping from English football back over to here, I guess we're going to get a better indication on where their game's at compared to ours. Mm, so. Most definitely. Well, after having a look at those trial results and touching on obviously what's coming on the show, we'd like to start off with our four teams for this week, being the Gold Coast Titans. 
the Melbourne Storm, the Newcastle Knights and the Manly Seagulls. We're going to kick things off with the Gold Coast Titans. So we jump back in with the first team, as we said, the Gold Coast Titans, who finished 11th in the 2012 season with about six games to go. There was obviously a four-way tie there trying to grab that last spot. Uh, obviously, the Raiders are the team that did end up sneaking in and end up finished seventh on the back of seven and eight in their last six games or so. And obviously, the Gold Coast Titans came to a bit of a skid near the end there. Uh, a lot of players such as Ashley Harrison, Greg Bird and Nate Myers really busted up after Origin. Uh, Luke Bailey also going down with an Achilles injury. And starting off the year with two wins and then obviously a seven-game losing streak didn't help as they had to make up a lot of ground. So, uh, Brock, what do you reckon about last year and what do you think about the chances of the Gold Coast Titans for the upcoming season? Uh, last year, obviously, was a season of two halves. We you know, we started very poorly. Two and uh, seven to start the season obviously wasn't ideal. But within that, we probably played a lot of teams who were um, in the top four, ended up in the top eight. During the middle part of the year, uh, we obviously lost a lot of players to Origin. We sort of got on a little bit of a roll there. We started to sort of get our record um, up around um, you know, 50-50 during that time, which helped. Then we sort of got on a run where we, we won five or six in a row, and then obviously at the back end of the year on the back of some injuries to um, Luke Bailey, uh, and also Nate Miles was playing busted. We obviously struggled and, and petered out at the end. But all in all, last year I was, I was fairly happy with the season considering our start um, from where we started to where we finished. Obviously, I thought we did a good job to recover to, to get to where we did. It wasn't looking positive. It was looking like maybe back-to-back spoons. Um, this season hopefully is a different year. Obviously, we've lost Scott Prince um, and our only real gain is Dave Taylor. So... Um, the halves that we we've got there, they're going to have to do. Um, it doesn't look like we've got many there in the in the twenties, which isn't going to help our depth. Um, but obviously, the, the battle looks between Albert Kelly and Bo Henry. I know we're, we're starting to get in obviously this year, but for last year, I know you say you're happy, but from an outside point of view, realistically, you, oh, would, you would have thought they would have been in the eight. Surely. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't happy. I'm, I'm, I wasn't I'm happy here, and I'm, I wasn't I'm, happy at two and seven. I know that, but, but I'm sitting from here. that point on to the end of the season, I was happy with with where we got to, and yeah. we managed to recover. But I'm just saying, at the start of last year, you would have had to have been thinking top eight easily. I was filthy I, at two and nine. Scott, uh, sorry, two out of nine was was awful, awful start to the year. But Scott Prince coming in, Caesar obviously came in a little bit late and reignited him. But at the start of the year, when you've got Idris, Champion. Luke Douglas coming in the front row, partnering up with Bailey. You've bought Nate Miles, who's going to be with Greg Bird and Ashley Harrison. You've got some of the best young players in Sharma, who's playing at nine for you. You've got Ryan James, who eventually goes down with an ACL injury and doesn't get on the park. Like Obviously, at the start of the year, surely you were sitting there thinking, we're going to make the top eight. Yeah, I would have thought last year, I would have rated us above teams like Canberra, who ended up landing in the eight. Um it was disappointing, but that's that's rugby league, isn't it? I mean, we're going to sit down here now, and we're going to go through all sixteen teams, and there are going to be teams that we think are in the are going to be in the eight that don't land in the eight. That's just um, trying to predict it all. You're not going to get it all right. Uh, I just thought our season turned, obviously, on the back of um, Johnny Cartwright bringing in Aiden Caesar. I thought that's where things went on the up. Um, we got a little bit more stability in the halves. Our spine um, stayed the same probably from that point on until the end of the year. We had Shrama, 
we had Prince, we had Caesar, we had Zilman, and that was very stable. I think that really, really helped us. So hopefully this year, I know that the halves are going to be unstable to start the year, but hopefully we can settle on a combination early. And whether it's working or not early on, hopefully we, they can stay injury-free, build up a bit of a combination. I don't really expect us to land in the eight this year, um, given that fact. Uh, but hopefully we can we can work on some combinations, finish off the year strongly and head into 2014 and, and hopefully be looking at, you know, being one of the top teams, I guess. Yeah, well, pressing forward, obviously, I've got uh, the gains here with Taylor probably, yes, the most notable one, uh, another back row in already what is a plethora of talent in the back row. Uh, Mark Ione joins from Canberra, former Warriors 20s player, pretty solid on the New South Wales Cup last year and I, I thought he was pretty unlucky not to get a game. And uh, a bit of a dark horse here, I'm going to bring him up. Uh, young Russell, Matt Russell, he played for Wigan. He only played two games and is obviously blocked off by what the English compare as their Billy Slater. Sam Tompkins joins the Titans. And I'm just going to throw it out here now. We see Idris who needs to step up and obviously have a big year. We have Bo Champion who's taken off and gone back to South Sydney. And you guys don't have a gun centre. So I look at William Zillman who's signed on, you know, probably an average money deal, but a very long-term deal. Who is your Mr. Fix-It? There's not another setter. Matt Russell's got all these wraps on him. He's supposed to be a gun fullback. I'm sitting here right now thinking that, yeah, Mead and Gordon want to play there, but with a lack of depth, I think young Matt Russell may end up being your fullback. Yeah, that's that's a definite possibility. I guess this is the this is the hard thing for Johnny Cartwright. I, I mean, this time last year, you could have penciled our 13 in. Um, this time, you know, 12 months later... I really struggle, apart from the Ford pack, to pencil a side in, in terms of, obviously, Caesar will be at six, but the rest of the side, um, Idris's weight is obviously a concern. Um, I know that in the papers and, and from all reports, he has lost some weight, and he, he did play well in the trial last night against the Broncos. So hopefully things are on the up for Jamal, and he can put in performances that probably justify the, the cash that we paid to get him up there. Um, but in terms of the other positions, it's it's very difficult to sort of work out who's going to play where until they land on the park and um, Cartwright sorts out this uh, the trial form, obviously. Well, the halfback position, who gets first crack? For me, if it was me, I'd give it to Bo Henry because I think Bo Henry's got a, a sharper game, better all-round game. Um, I know we, we've brought Albert Kelly up there. Albert Kelly on best form is probably better than Bo Henry, but I think for the stability of the side in the early rounds, a lot of those games are won based on possession, field position. I think Bo Henry gives us the best chance to, to gain, um, have better structure, I guess, in terms of getting better field position, gaining possession, getting the ball into the right areas of the field. Um, I think we can win games just by grinding with our forward pack. That forward pack made the most metres in the NRL last year um, and miraculously somehow our backs and our halves uh, managed to not put on enough points in order to get us into the eight. Which well, this was, this was a point I was going to touch on right now. Obviously, an all-round package, I see... Bo Henry, definitely the most suited to play in that number seven. I see him and Aiden Caesar both been very prominent in a ball-running situation. Bo Henry, obviously, we've seen make his debut at the Knights and score a couple of tries and have a good short-kicking game. I think that Caesar will probably be more reliable on a long-kicking basis. He's going to have to take that role that Scott Prince seemed to fill in last year. Uh, Matt Schramma doesn't really have a kicking game, but I, I think it's about time that if they're going to be having such a young spine, he may need to start developing some kind of game to contribute to that. Uh, I, I'm a bit with you on the back row situation, but my only thing is I put the Sharks in the top eight, but they play a particular kind of football that caters to that back row. You know, that They grind people out, and their backs are pretty gritty 
similar to their forward pack. So they play that kind of football where they score, you know, only two or three tries every week, three at best, and they can kind of grind it. I, I, the Gold Coast Titans don't really play that grinding style of football. So do you think that they can kind of mould themselves more around what the Sharks do, having such a great depth of talent in the back row and try and play a very forward-based game and grind out wins? I think that's going to be the challenge for Cardi because obviously they've had Scott Prince since day one. So obviously with Scott Prince comes... Uh, you know, the ability to throw the ball around, attacking variation, um, you know, and that free flow in attack. We're, we're just going to throw the ball around. We're going to play footy on you. I think now without him there, obviously, Cardi's now going to obviously have to change his, his structure, his game plan, as you've said. I even see it as though we we may even have to take up that sort of Sharks mentality where, where three tries may have to be enough to win. Whether, you know, we've got the dis- defensive fortitude um, whether we've done enough work over the preseason in order to put ourselves in good positions and make sure that we can, um, you know, not not allow any more than 18 points a game, that's that remains to be seen. Obviously, that that comes obviously as you know with with errors, penalties, things like that as well, which which piggyback you down the field. But it's a it's a it's a watershed year for the Titans. I I really can't work it out. I've I've put them down on my ladder at 11th. That's exactly where they landed last year. And to be honest, as as a fan. Of the Titans, I'd be pretty happy if if we could um, just stay where we where we finished last year. I'd like to see us move up the table a little bit more, but I'm just a little bit nervous about all those different um, ins and outs and combinations. And um, yeah, I'm also probably a little bit worried about the work workload on Nate Miles, whether Cardi's going to start Luke Douglas. Um, there's a, there's a, a lots of stuff we could talk about. Well, moving on from that, I've obviously got my prediction here as well. I've got them 13th. Um, it doesn't really bring me too much joy bringing that up because when I look on paper, like I said, I see all those back rowers. I think with Matt White, who has now gone down with an ACL injury for the year, you've lost a bench front rower. You've obviously got Bailey on an Achilles who's a bit 50-50. He's chasing a contract, and, and whether he's healthy or not is a different situation. But in my eyes right now, the way Ryan James played in that All-Stars game... If he's not going to be starting, if he's going to be playing that bench role, Nate Miles, Luke Douglas in the front row of the Sharma, Ashley Harrison, Greg Bird, Dave Taylor back row, and Ryan James is your first bench forward. Uh, as to what follows that, I'm not 100% sure. I think they're lacking a little bit of depth all around in the squad. I think that players like O'Dwyer, um, the other young bloke, Luke Page, who's been keen on a debut, he's another front row ready and waiting. But that, that's obviously another bit of a situation being up there on the Gold Coast, the under-20 system. Uh, hasn't been too fruitful besides James, who is their only real local junior in that side. And uh, obviously Luke Page is probably the, the most likely one to step up from that system as well. But I've got them at 13th. Uh, absolutely love the black row. The back row is just ridiculous in talent. So rich. Uh, big question on the halves. I know C's approved himself. Shrama's taken shape as a nine. But uh, obviously... Does Luke Douglas have to start? Luke Douglas has to start. Luke Douglas should have been starting last year. How that wasn't apparent uh, to me is absolutely ridiculous. You can't bring a player of that quality into your side and, and not seem as a starting player. A For guy me, who was played had, had to be injured. He had to be injured. He had to be carrying some sort of injury, or well, him and him and John didn't, didn't get along. Him well, and John Cartwright didn't get along. I don't see how that's possible. And I'm about to flip the switch on that too. To me, if John Cartwright is not under pressure, well then I'm not here. Yeah, it's going to be it's a tough year for him. I think it's it's now our is it our seventh year? Yep, and I'm going to stand by this statement right now, and I make it. I'm sticking by it. If Greg Bird plays five eight 
at all this year for you guys in the halves, I sack him immediately. All right. You've tried it one too many times. He's not a 5'8". Stop wasting your time. It's either Jordan Rankin's been there for too damn long. I, I don't really think he's the long-term solution. But if you're going to keep having him there, use him. You've got Bo Henry. You've got Albert Kelly. You know Caesar's locked down. One of those three blokes has to be playing in the other half spot. Greg me, Bird cannot be moving in your halves anymore. For me, at hooker, do you think Sharma's an 80-minute player? Sharma's definitely an 80-minute okay, player. Okay, so the last Bo season Falloon, he, he carried Bo Falloon on the bench. So mm-hmm. would you carry Bo Falloon on the bench? Or I would, be would you carry again. one of the halves? Would you carry Albert Kelly no. or... Bo Henry on the bench. So start with one of them, have the other one on the bench. No, I'm sticking by that. Sharma is an 80-minute player, but I still will have Falloon because when Falloon was healthy after the biceps injury, he did provide some spark, some tries and a point of difference. And he's still using for, what, 25, 30 minutes a game? Probably 25, 30. I think the only two teams in the NRL that don't need a backup hooker are the Melbourne Storm and the West Tigers. They're yep. the only two teams that don't need a backup hooker. And probably Canterbury as well, I guess, with Ennis. Yeah, well, Ennis can obviously play there, but you do see them sometimes carry Romolo. But, yeah, you know, yeah, carry another option. A, a player like that who can come on and play lock as well. But yeah, I think the other concern for me is Nate Miles did so much work last year. He was a State of Origin Player of the Year. He was so good for us. It it really shocked me, and it it had really stamped him as an elite player in our game if he can back that up this year because he, you know, the amount of work he did for us, as I just said, it was it was incredible. Absolutely outstanding. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Brock Scott, the Titans, penciled in. At 11th on his ladder for this season, I've got them penciled in at 13. Well, hopefully it's a better season for the Gold Coast. Hopefully we don't have the financial dramas. Um, hopefully we can get a stable halves pairing and it's a better season for me. I don't have as many grey hairs as I got last year. Well, I think the grey hairs are set to continue both. <laughs> and, and broken Foxtel remotes. Yeah, well, that also. Next yeah. cab off the rank for the preview for 2013 will be the Manly Seagulls. So the Manly Seagulls are the next team we have up in 2012. They obviously finished up fourth after a bit of a hot and cold year, uh, some ups and downs with injuries, and obviously under new coach Jeff Tuvey. Uh, we've seen foreign in and out. Jason King obviously had some ongoing problems. Uh, they reckon Watmau was a bit busted during the year, and obviously Glenn Stewart went from being probably the best backer in the comp the previous season, and gone on a glamour run into the finals to just being an absolute non-factor. But uh, They finished fourth, obviously. The first week was the game with the Bulldogs, which we both participated. Brock, we went and seen that game. I thought that was a bit of a dirty grind, and they were pretty uh, unlucky to have lost that game. They really dominated the first half, but just didn't seem to even come back out in the field for the second. Yeah, it probably took a lot of wind out of them, that, that loss. Um, as you said, first half was, was a very grinding game, taxing game. Would have taken a lot of juice out of them. They then went uh, and played the Cowboys the week after, and that was the hand of God incident, obviously, where uh, the Cowboys were none too happy with two tries that probably proved that shouldn't have been awarded, which uh, may have changed the game. And then obviously they go to Melbourne, and, and your boys gave them an absolute shellacking, which I thought was, you know, a watershed moment maybe for Manly. I, I, I really don't know what to make of them this year. I, Putting them next to Melbourne in that situation over the last four or five years, you would have expected them to play um, a lot better in that scenario. I mean, they've probably had the better of Melbourne in uh, the, the most recent finals games. Um, but 
Melbourne just give it to them that night. That was that was the best performance I've seen from Melbourne probably since Craig Bellamy's been there, in my opinion. I'm obviously always going to sound biased because that's obviously who I follow, but there's two two games in that final series. The South Sydney Rabbitohs won. They say, you know, South beat themselves, and in that game as well, they say they beat themselves. But Melbourne going to win the comp, so enough said there. I don't want to get too far into that. But mainly for me, they turn up that night. I think they're through again. Here we go, foreign. Cherry Evans, Jamie Lyon, Brett Stewart, Tony Williams. It's just a ridiculously stacked side. I'm thinking quite similar. I'm thinking they've got our number. Uh, the grand finals, obviously, we won the first one when we were cheating. The second one, we turned up without Cameron Smith and got absolutely annihilated. Well, yeah. Turning, um, up, to, turning up without Cameron Smith is like Tiger Woods turning up without his clubs. Mm, pretty fair call. But, uh, yeah, I, I really did have a feeling when they came down to Amy Park that it was I thought it was gonna be a lot closer than what it was and they well, just... I was the I was of the opposite opinion. I was you know me, I was I was on Melbourne with six weeks to go last year. I Craig Bellamy planned that season to absolute perfection and I, I, I thought they really had Manley's number and I, they were by far the best team in the final series last year, Melbourne. They definitely were. Very methodical. So I mean what what you make of Manly in that situation, that's what I'm saying in terms of where that lands them. What does that do to them? Does that you know, give them the impetus to, to go into the off season, work a little bit harder, know the areas in which they need to work on, or does that does that signal an end of an era for Manly? Well that's what I was about to jump on to reflecting on Melbourne and Manly, they've both obviously felt the pressure from the cap this year, coming up with uh, obviously the gains and losses, they've both shed a lot of NR experience and uh But in saying that I mean Craig Bellamy does he's renowned for grabbing those players, improving them and making these bargain buyers, dollar dazzlers, whatever you want to call them, into, you know, mainstays in the NRL. Jeff Tuvey doesn't have that reputation yet. If it was Des Hasler It'd be a different story. It would Des be a Hazler, different story. Des Hazler can do that. It's a it's a really big year for Jeff Tuvey. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I mean the ball's now in his court. He's he's got to deliver because it's it's a roster that is getting a little bit older. They've been up for so long. You saw that with the Dragons last year. They were up for a long it is, time. It is an aging squad, but you still can't deny that they've got a spine much in the similar kind of mould of a Melbourne, where they've got a one, a six, a seven, and a nine in Stewart. Foreign Cherry Evans and Ballon, and I think in particular Foreign has a bit of an excuse. He was injured for the most part of last year, but Daily Cherry Evans was an absolute non-figure. Yeah, he was. He had that he held second year syndrome I mentioned last on last week's show. Yeah. Kieran Foreign, I think, was the biggest one for me because he ties up in at one side of the field on that edge. I think he plays on the left edge. He almost shuts that edge down. He does because you know attacking wise, the opposition will always look to target your halves or your hooker. Ballon's a great defender. Foran's a great defender, so it obviously puts a lot of um, traffic down Cherry Evans's edge. But they showed the importance of Glenn Stewart last year for Kieran Foran as well, because he ultimately does a lot of creating for Foran, which lets him be more of a running threat. Yeah, definitely. I, I really rate Foran. I think he's a really key player in whether Manly are you know are up or up or down in terms of this season. If he can improve, Cherry Evans can get back to the form of 2011. They're going to be a, a factor. Um, obviously, the guys going out, they've lost Tony Williams, they've lost, lost Dean Ware, Darcy Lussick, Daniel Harrison, yep. Michael Oldfield, and also Josh Drinkwater, who the Dragons have big raps on. Coming in, Richie Faoso um, and Justin Horro, and you've got a couple of 20s boys that you know that have they've gone over to Manly. Yeah, well, they've obviously picked up probably six or seven young under-20s players. They've got Peter Haiku and, and Liggy Sauer coming over from the Warriors. Michael Cheekham obviously joins from uh, the Canberra Raiders in the team of the year. 
Uh, they also pick up Kane Lawton as a backup nine and Brenton Lawrence as a backup prop from the Titans. So you see... Yeah, I thought he was good for the Titans last year, Brenton Lawrence. I thought, he, touches, I he, thought he was right. solid. But you can definitely see, similar to a Melbourne, they've had to shed a lot of NRL experience and they've picked up a lot of squad players. Yeah, they've but lost I, a lot of players to other clubs, haven't they? I don't mention all those under-20 players for a reason. I, I, I mentioned Michael Cheekham because Canberra put in a pretty stern offer to try and keep him there. He was a... Very solid ball running back. I plays on an edge. Uh, a, a very big body. Um, I was happened to be down there in 2010, and he was brought in along with another young bloke, Weedy Baker, when I was on my way out with an injury. And uh, I thought he was a big kid then, and I've seen him since. He's an absolute monster. Uh, whether that translates to first grade is yet to be seen. And the other 20s player that I, I probably got wraps on that may get a look in in their aging forward pack would be Liggy Sauer, who's just part of obviously that immense massive talent that the Warriors under 20s just keep producing and no doubt they can't hold on to all of them but he's just another one that's uh, crossed the ditch as they like to say <laughs> to come to Australia along with players like Toka Likiliki and uh, you see Hurrell and just there's just way too many of these Warriors under 20s players but he's one I think may have a look in in that aging forward pack this year. Yeah in my notes of obviously Stuart Lyon, King, Kite, um, well, both the Stuarts, Watmo, they're all getting a little bit older, aren't they? They're all going to slow a slower step. Obviously, you've seen that with Watmo getting injured. King carried his uh, injuries last year. Kite had his injury concerns. Glenn Stewart now also. Jamie Lyon dropped 29 tries last year, which is way down. Brett Stewart only scored 12. Brett Stewart, you're used to scoring 20 a season. And this is what I was going to touch on, though. When you run through every one of those names... They've all been injury-prone at some point. They just trade places. Brett Stewart, yeah. continuous problems with the knee. Uh, you move on to the Wolfman. The Wolfman's been an absolute non-figure since his debut season. We, like I said, we didn't even bring him up then. You, you talk about him five or so years ago, he was just the absolute bee's knees in his first year. But what have you seen since? Neck well, problems, all kinds of issues. Jamie Lyon last year, calf problems, just little niggles that come with obviously reaching your 30s. Uh, George Tafua. Very solid first year, but once again, young blood, foreign injured, Cherry Evans hot and cold, King and Kite, especially King, he's uh, definitely on the back end of things. Matt Ballin at the start of the year, a bloke who's paid you know, consistently for five years without no injuries since he made his debut, started to break down in those last couple of games, along with Stewart with his thumb and other problems, Waltmau with hip problems. Like, I can just keep going all day. Yeah, There's every I, the one, one of those me. players... Has an injury problem. The Wolfman is going to be a factor this year because they've put a lot, a lot of faith into him. They've re-signed him. They let Ware and Oldfield go, who have been in those wing spots when he's been injured. Um, he's going to have to be a, a factor for Manly this year. If he goes out, there's going to be another baby coming in onto the wing, um, and that cycle just continues. And I left me, as I said earlier, it's a big year for Jeff Tuvey. Massive year for Jeff Tuvey. He's going to um, earn his cash this year, that's for sure. And I cannot believe I left him out. And I have to bring him up, the most injury-prone of all, in every single game he plays, good old shoulders, Matt I. I forgot him. Yeah, the Rocky Boulders get a workout, don't they, on old Stevie boy? Well, the neck, the shoulders, anything you can find, that trainer certainly has his money going out for you. Yeah, he must be on a mint, that bloke. My my most consistent thought and the reason why I'm, I'm a bit question marked, like you read those names out and you think, my God, man, they've still got a very solid lineup. They've obviously shed... Some depth, and uh, there there is some good young blood there. Obviously, you, you two halves, and you talk about Jamie Bura, who made an Origin debut last year. He's a fantastic uh, back rower slash lock, and even plays a bit of nine. He's the all round old school footballer. He's got the whole package. He's not your modern day athlete. He is an actual football player. 
But uh, in saying that, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I can't shake the thought out of my head. Every one of those names we talk about, they've all had injury problems. They're all getting to the back end. And I don't want to sound too vicious towards Manly. And obviously, being a Melbourne fan, anyone's going to think that I'm attacking them. But <laughs> The Battle of Brookie is still raw. Yeah, well, let, let me tell you <laughs> right now, in this if, if I had it my way, we'd loan Adam Blair back in just for that game <laughs> so I could see him get the oh, absolute snot punched out of him. <laughs> and, uh, Good. I, I just think... I've, I've actually, onto that, I've got discipline here as, as one of my points to address with Manly. They are sometimes ill-disciplined. In that Melbourne game, I watched the uh, preliminary final replay of that the other day. They did give away a lot of penalties at critical times. And Ooh. it can, it, against a side like Melbourne, if you piggyback them down the field once, it could mean that you're on your line for the next 10 minutes. Well, this is why I was going to bring up my next critical point, which is I question Jeff Toovey's ability to handle an NRL job, let alone this squad. This squad is full of so much talent. And yes, he was a great player, but is he a great coach? Last year, we see that discipline that I was about to mention they had under Hasler. Very Bellamy-like, non-existent. Yeah. And you can blame the injuries. As I said, he's going to earn his cash this year. He's, it's a watershed year for him. Um, he can put a real real big stamp on this side and, and, and cement his job. He can cement his job for the next four or five years well, if, he, if he has a really good year this year. You know, I like to be a bit cutthroat with the, the coaching situation. I'm going to throw him straight under the chopping board as well. You pick up a side like that last year, you limp into fourth, and you've got a ridiculous amount of quality in your side. That's a given. He's, he's, you, his saw signs, you saw signs of cracking last year. I saw signs of cracking last year. Yeah. This year, another full pre-season under him. It's the complete 2V effect now. There's no more thoughts of Haslow. This is just all him. Yeah. If he doesn't deliver this year, to me, he is under pressure. Okay. I, he's in a very similar position to what Steve Price is at the Dragons. They're, they're a club that's used to, used to success. They've had elite coaches in Hasler and Bennett obviously leave. Younger apprentices come in. And the pressure is really on those two, just just because of you know you. I still feel Price is under more pressure than Tuvi yeah. purely for Tuvi's position just, at just Manly. When when you land the job, they've just landed their jobs in unfortunate situations, and they've both had you know not great seasons to start with. Even though I mean Manly, I don't think obviously it's an finished third, finished third, but um, Manly fans were gutted with that result. The way they went out, they it's got so they, they got hammered. I just see them. I see them as an elite side, and I think they're going to move into a rebuilding phase. Um, I don't see them as elite this year. I've got them at thirteenth. Well, I'm, I'm a little more generous. I've got them at ninth. I, I don't think you're going to have all that talent, but like I said, I'm, I'm just chucking the spanner in the works purely because every one of those big names we brought up had a spell at some point last year for more than just a week or two. It wasn't a niggle. Everybody had a significant problem. And in this off-season, we've already seen Brett, uh, Brett Stewart at his best, headbutting somebody at a wedding last weekend. Uh, he's going to have ongoing knee issues. I don't care what anyone says. I've had knee problems. He's had two knee reconstructions. He's had clean-outs. That doesn't get any better the older you get. Um, Glenn Stewart's obviously going to be missing the first six to eight weeks. He's got a knee problem. He's come off a broken thumb. He's had multiple problems. What now? Uh, they're talking about rib tenderness last night. He dropped out of the All-Stars because of a hip injury. There is a lot of issues going forward. Uh, King, how long is King going to last before he buys something again? There's yeah. just there's just a lot there. Like I, I just keep throwing all these names out. David Williams, fingers crossed, touch wood right now. I hope he does have a good year. I hope he stays injury-free. But for me, there's just too many names on that list that I've got the old Medico sign next to. And how long is that team going to last before they break down? Yeah, well, I mean, the other one is they've got Brookvale Oval. That's a positive. It's a tough place to play. It's a boggy track. It suits their roster. 
Um, so that's obviously going to be a positive. The other note coming out of the preseason is the Jamie Lyon situation at the Gold Coast. Yeah, well, I mean, did he want to go? Did he not want to go? I mean, I was, I would have been wrapped for Jamie Lyon to go to the Gold Coast. I, you know, obviously he's he's one of the best centers in the game. I mean, being the top five centers of the game, would you agree there? I'd agree there, yeah. but I, I'm going to be pretty ruthless in that situation with how quickly they reacted with the letter and how everything's gone since, and there's been absolutely zero word of it. Uh, I don't want to point the finger at the Titans and say that they jumped the gun, but I'm going to point the finger and say they jumped the gun. Okay. Yeah. I, I think. Well, yeah. I. I don't know. I just Manly aren't usually associated with stories like that. That's that's my only point. Yeah. Whether whether or not he signed or said he was going or not, I'm, you know, there are cracks appearing. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to more point the finger at uh, the main point. I think there's a lot of injuries there. I'm questioning Jeff Tuvey and his role as a head coach. Was he ready for it? And can he bring back a bit more of that Hasler type structure? Can they get back in the grind? Can they be a bit more disciplined? dominate in the forwards and then get the ball out and take advantage of a situation with the likes of Jamie Lyon and Brett Stewart lingering around. And uh, I know Glenn will be out for the first six to eight weeks, but for them to be a factor again, he is like a third half for them. He needs to pop back up this year, along with Cherry Evans and Foran off patchy years. So on that, we've obviously had our thoughts on that. Brock, you've got Manly at 13th. I've got them at 9th. And before we move on to the other two teams, the Newcastle Knights and the Melbourne Storm for review, we'll be jumping in to a running segment that will be continuing on throughout 2013. 10 in the bin with Mark Guy, the Wild Panther. Time for 10 in the bin with the Wild Panther, Mark Guy. And we are now joined by Mark Guy. Good AMG, how you doing? Good AMG, good AMG, Bruce. What's going on? Mate, uh, I know it's uh, um, never done well in rugby league. Obviously, the last couple of weeks have been um, something that I suppose a lot of people now look back on reflection and go, well, was it that bad? Um, I, I speak of the, the announcement from Jason Clare about uh, a week and a half ago. And backed up by Carl Lundy, the sports minister, and... Richard Ings, the ex-Sarah boss, and whoever else wanted to throw their hat in the ring and say that sport was doomed because of performance of Anthony Gardens. But here we are, 10 days later, or a little bit more, or almost two weeks later, actually. It'll be two weeks tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Um, here we are, 32 weeks later, and the Squires have fallen in, and um, there's a big game on Friday night, the Charlie Shield and the Foundation Cup, and um, life goes on. But... Um, Who's accountable for the? Who's, who's going to be up accountable for the, the unbelievable announcement that um, the sport is going to be rocked to its soul? Uh, at the moment, there's been no smoking gun, which I'm really disappointed about. Hundred percent, and exactly like you said, from a fan's point of view, when Kate Lundy and I, you know she comes out and says it's the darkest day in Australian sports, and they've come back with absolutely zero so far. It's an absolute empty hand and a bit of a slap in the face to some of the clubs and. A lot of football players have all been tarred with the same brush, and you hear people like North Queensland who are, you know, talking about taking legal action as they feel they've yeah, been defamed. I, I can see why. Um, you know, I, I know that um, it's, on the day, 
from that day they made the announcement, we stayed back till 11.30 with the grill team um, on, on air just to watch the announcement. Was, the announcement was firstly um, said it was going to happen about 9.20 and it was pushed back from 20 to 10 and eventually come on. And I think like, like most people, we're all shocked and, and sad and more so, but how can we, you know, all of a sudden we always look on, look and frown upon other nations and their sporting prowess and we always say, oh, there must be something going on with these guys. They're too, they're too good. Well, all of a sudden we're back in our, in our own backyard and we all thought, well, how can we do so naive? Uh, yeah. Tomorrow morning, that's, you know, the day after announcement, we're all going to see exactly who these cheats are and what clubs are. And, but there's been nothing. There's been absolutely nothing. There's been no, there's been a lot of rumour and innuendo and that's exactly what was always going to happen if you make such a, a sweeping statement. But at the moment, um, they've been six clubs that might be involved or might have something to, to you know, to uh, come to the commission for. Um, there's been talk. Look, there's been, there's been talk. I think uh, Phil Russell mentioned Paul Gallon last weekend had to, you know, say something to one of his his, his teammates that it wasn't him. And so I really there's a cloud. And already when we even when we watched Friday night, this game on Friday night, the Charity Shield, which which is so wrong. Somebody does something out of the box, you go, oh, amazing on these, these peptide things they're talking about, or what's going on? Like, mm. It's just thrown a massive cloud over a, a sporting body that didn't need to be thrown. And I think we got caught up somehow um, un- unwittingly in the Essendon saga, which looks a lot more covert than, than ours ever has. Yeah, 100%. So from my point of view, it seems like they've gone off a little bit early. There's been no follow-up. There's no names. It's tarnished everyone with the same brush. Um, reading between the lines, it seems as though Asada, they've, they've got a lot of intel. So they've obviously had enough to sort of, you know, go off in order to, to report it and reason to suspect, but they've got little ev- evidence to back it up. Well, it's a 12-month investigation. Don't you think after 12 months of investigating and, and as thoroughly as we think they might have investigated, they're least going to say exactly... Any black who's been charged with all... Been brought, you know, brought to um, look at the face of these drug cybers, a, a poor bastard in reserve grade for North Sydney, who I've never heard of. Yeah, with, Curtis Johnson. With, with all due respect, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's. Well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, um, there's nothing going on in rugby league, um, but I'll tell you what, compared to 20 years ago when I first started playing footy, and that is, there's a lot, there's a lot less. Rumor in you went out these days, and there was back then. It's just yeah. what they've done is, and I, and I, what you just said a minute ago, Lewis, about the, the Cowboys now thinking about leaving. Actually, why yeah. wouldn't you? Oh, well, exactly. Every team has been tainted because there, 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 there a government who wanted to get, let's be frank, a government who wanted to get their politicians off the front page, and a mm. government who wanted to try and avert um, calling a, an election nine months out from it. Like, we're going to call this election the the pregnancy. Yeah. That's how long it's going to last, you know. And it's, they they realised they made a mistake, and they thought, okay, who can be the scapegoats? And you know what? They've targeted the wrong people because, as a sporting nation, we don't we don't take too kindly to people trying to disrupt our lives in, in that sort of manner and, and skullbuggery, skullbuggery, whatever mm-hmm. you call it. And I really, well, I love to see names names, and I think everybody who is clean, the ninety nine point. Nine percent or ninety nine point eight percent of rugby league players who are clean, they want to say they want to say names, name because they want to go with life. But yeah. there been, has there been any apologies from the government? Has there been anyone saying, look, we may we may have overreacted? Has there been 
the five major codes of our um, of our country, and I think um, uh, Bolt wrote about it on Andrew Bolt wrote about it on, on Monday. Um, they should consider legal action because they've been they've brought all their names into disrepute. Yeah, 100%. I, I thought Gus Gould nailed it the other night on Channel 9. He sort of said Assad is the one that's been doing the investigating. So their their job was obviously to get, gather intelligence. It's not solid evidence, which isn't enough to um, charge an individual. And even a charge does not always um, result in a conviction. So it seems as though, I mean, Assad has probably been whacked around and been a bit of the scapegoat in this. They're only enforcing WADA standards, which is the World Anti-Doping Authority. Mm. Um, but moving yeah, away from that, even then, um, our bro- the boss of WADA is uh, John Fay, who's, who's an Aussie who, yeah. who would never tolerate drugs in sport. He's a, he's a, he's a staunch as they come, this bloke, yeah. and he's the one. And he's already saying, "Where's the names? Where's the, where are they?" Like, um, you know, he's, 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 he's even suggesting himself that the government's gone totally wrong way of dealing with this. You don't just come out and make a, a sweeping statement that tarnishes everybody in not just the free codes, but every code. Well, I've gone straight away, I thought, what, is this netball? Is this basketball? Is this baseball? Is this yeah. athletics? How, how, how big is this problem? How, and how deep does it go? Is it, is it match fixing at a, at a cricket level? Is it, is it match fixing in the A League? Well, come on. You've just thrown it up and now you've got no evidence to back it up. Or it seems like no evidence. As I said, here we are two, nearly two weeks on and there's still nothing that's been, you know, put out in the media that, that suggests that they're even close to it. Uh, charging or, or suspending anybody from any type of game. So, and they've, they've, what, was um, what was it all about? I, I, I still scratch my head and think, what, why? Yeah, and they've pushed the mute button on everyone that's sort of got a role in it. So no one's talking. It's it's a really strange situation. So mm. um, moving away from that, let's talk about PEDs in general. So, I mean, for me, this has sort of brought up some stuff, and it's widespread in America at the moment. They're talking about PEDs and... It was on the back of the Ray Lewis thing in the Super Bowl with the deer antler spray, and it just brought up all this stuff about PEDs in general. Now, um, I know you're a big fan of the basketball. I love my basketball. Yep. You watch it, and you watch someone like LeBron James, and you think, because of the Lance Armstrong situation, never tested yep. positive to anything, has now come out, you know, after a 12-year career. He's won seven to Tour de France's, and suddenly he said, well, yeah, I cheated the whole way through. So I just don't like the situation where now I have to watch sport and I see those type of performances and I have to wonder, is he on drugs? Is he, on a, is he taking PEDs? Well, with the same learning. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Pitching the tennis, um, looking at the next Olympic Games, you're going to say the same thing because... Um, you know, there's a train of thought that if everybody's on, what I just have everybody on, but that's just source, that's just stupid because you know they, this this is not just a performance-based drug that they're taking. This is a a, a life-threatening type of drug that they're into. That's yeah. You know, this this is stuff that could that could kill you ultimately in, in five or six years' time. Um, 
or ten years time or twenty years time, but it's going to kill you quicker than it would if you didn't take any performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. So, um, well, and as a parent, I mean, yeah. you've got you've got an older daughter and older son who are both um, fairly high up, you know, as sports men and women. Would you ever suspect your son or daughter, like if they if they put on a little bit of weight, um, you know, they, their body shape started to change, they're, they're uh, you know, they improve in their game. Would you ever suspect them of performance enhancing drugs? No. No, I wouldn't because I, I think I'd hope that as a father of my kids, we talk we talk openly about this type of thing, and obviously my last couple of weeks we've spoken a lot about it and, and what they do and what they come in and how how they're used and all that kind of stuff. So education is is the best form of prevention. Yeah. Um, in these type of things, like recreational drugs, you know, I was, I was never a choir boy when it comes to that type of thing, but that's why you become a parent because you can hopefully pass on uh, your knowledge of how good and or more so how bad things can get. Um, you know, you always think as a young boy that you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and nothing will ever hurt you, but it's, it's not until you have your own children that you realise that, you know, you've been put on, the, on this earth for, for a special reason, that's to make sure that. They don't follow it, um, the negative parts of your life. Yeah. And, you know, I look back on some of my things I've done in life and they are negative, but I, I don't think I'd be here today where I'm at in my career today if I didn't overcome it a bit of adversity. It's, yeah. it's, um, sometimes it's good to reflect and think, wow, you know, how did I get here after being there? And um, it's hard work. It's really hard work. And mm. I think the first thing I do in, in any sort of life is be honest. Yeah, 100%. and we're not being honest. With, uh, the government's not being honest with the sporting fans. And, and let's be honest again: the fabric of, of anything, and let's talk rugby league. The fabric, the fabric of rugby league is defined by one group of people, and that's the fans of the game. Yeah. And now we're we're, we're cheating them. We're cheating them by by lying to them, and, and that only lasts so long. And what what role do you see the media in playing in, in all of this? I mean, the media drives this: the win all um, sort of. To the winner goes the spoils. They they drive that sort of mentality. They drive that, um, you know, sort of ethos, I guess. So, I mean, why wouldn't athletes or teams who are on on the cusp or, you know, players who are on the fringe of first grade, why wouldn't they look to PEDs to enhance their chance of winning? That if that's going to then further their career. Well, that's the, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. How do we know that there are teams on drugs at the moment who? Who are three steps ahead of the testers? Mm. And we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. We, we didn't. We don't know that there was one point runner in the hundred meters final for the Olympic Games. Yeah. Well, we, we mean, Lewis had this conversation on the weekend. We do not think there is because it just got found out there's no Santa when you're a kid. You know, you yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I really. Like when I when I played when I first started playing, my first year was nine I was, I was 17 and never heard of any drug related as far as performance enhancing goes in, in, in sport, especially in rugby league. Um, then I, when I got the first grade uh, a year or two later, never, again, never heard of it. But once I started uh, being a regular first grader and you, you play against some blokes on the field who, who do Herculean efforts, the rumours start to, to, tri- to trickle in and, you know, this bloke's on something or that bloke's on something and you go, well, it makes sense because when he hit me, I shit me undies and it, no one hits me <laughs> yeah. and either concrete me or shoulder pads or being on something. Yeah. But we never got, but you, you know what? You looked at that as a, when I, when I suspected people made a, that I might have been playing who were on something illegal, that drove me, that drove me harder. 
Yeah. So it'll stop you. If you know that to make you what you are, well, I'll get, get some of this in here. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think most, you know, I think that's the kind of the ethos of most, most sportsmen. If, if you disrespect somebody in your code, you don't dob them in. You know, that's, that's kind of, that's like being a lad in a jail. Yeah, there's no snitching, is there? There's no snitching. And then you just want to, you fight fight with fight. You say, okay, if you want to get on that path, and you want to probably die 20 years younger than we are, let's just sort out the footy field and, uh, see how good you are when you, you know, when you've got five of them, uh, sort of 105 kilos dashing the crap out of you. So, That's right. Yeah. And, and move, like moving on to that, if obviously there's a gap then between athletes who have that sort of mentality and then there's people in the media who are obviously, you know, got a le- better level of education. Do they understand that athlete mentality, do you think, when they're looking at this sort of stuff? I, I don't think they do. They, they sort of, they probably expect them to dob each other in and, yeah, you know. Yeah, right. they do. And now that I'm a part of the media, I, I look at it and go, well, we are the blame. We, we, we sensationalise a lot of things. We, there's not a day that goes by when I'm on the radio for three hour shift and I, I probably get four text, four or five text messages on average with different rumours and, and of different players or, or different coaches or different CEOs. And, and out of all them rumours, I, I'd probably, you know, say if I get maybe a hundred a year, the, the rumours, maybe one or two, are, you know, come out to be 100%. Um, proven. So it's, you know, it's, there's just always that type of rumour innuendo that it happens and I think the media do drive a lot of it because the media are out to try and create sensation. The, the media are a juggernaut when it comes to over-dramatising things um, to, a, to a tenth degree because it's their job. Um, especially sub-editors who put their headlines on. They're, they're the ones who are charged with making people read the paper. Um, if you don't see a big headline you won't pick the thing up. So um, it's, it is. It's a big. It's a roundabout. It's all one big roundabout of misery um, if you get caught up in it. But it's, it's also something that if you don't do the wrong thing, you've never got anything to worry about. Exactly. And uh, something me and Brock talked about on the weekend, and it's a question I suppose a, a lot of sports people can probably ask each other at the moment. Would you rather never win a title or obtain one by cheating? You'd rather never win one. Exactly, and that, that's one thing I've had an argument about. Like if, you've got, if, you've, if you've got a conscience. Well, most people have, and, yeah. you know, it eventually catches up with you, doesn't it? Because Lance Armstrong was this guy who was, you know, he was like, stick it, you know, everyone stick it. I've won yeah. seven in a row. I'm taking photos of myself with my seven jerseys. His conscience yeah. caught up with him. Oh, yeah. Mate, Armstrong, I suppose living a life for so long, he convinced himself 
in his own head that he was doing the right thing. He convinced himself that, you know, this is what everyone else is doing, so I'm going to do it as well, and I'm going to do it ten times better than everybody else. Yeah, it was... But it was wrong, because, you know, they talk about the Tour de France and all that kind of stuff, but well, the perfect end, like, like the, you know, the blanket statement, the, the NRL statement that they made, you know, the sweeping statement their government made, it's, um, everybody's been painting the same brush, and every time we see now, in the back of that, something happening um, that's extraordinary, in the back of their minds, we're saying, well, I wonder, I wonder if they've had, um, you know, a six-week course, or I wonder if they're on something that's illegal, because I've never heard of a peptide until two weeks ago, I've never heard what, I didn't know what it was. Well, we, yeah, I, I was with you, I think Lewis knew what they were, but... Mate, I was with you, and I, I've been to uni, I've done a PE degree, and I've never heard of them. Never, ever. I've done seminars on drugs and drugs in sport, and in my role coaching, I've never heard of a peptide. Yeah, so. well, apparently, I was, I, the day it broke, I spoke to my wife, and I said, babe, have you heard of these peptides? I think she has peptides. I've, I've heard that. She said, yeah, it's in the, the facial cream. It's, it's <laughs> like a, it's, I said, well, how, what are they? She goes, well, just rejuvenate your skin. I said, so I thought, okay, well, if you're injecting them three times a day into, a, into an area which you want to improve, yeah. I suppose it's going to help. Yeah, well, that's what I said to Brock. I showed a bloke at work who came up to me when it all happened and said, oh, how, how do they get their hands on these? Is it like steroids? Is it something that goes a bit under the radar? And I showed him on my phone and said, nah, look at this. I typed in peptides on Google and bam, there it is. You can buy them readily off the internet, off an Australian website, off an American website, off Canada. Uh, syringe water, syringes, it's all available readily on the internet, so it's not like it's something that's hidden. Well, that, that's the thing. You, you find them on the internet readily available, so I'm, I'm starting to wonder uh, as to how they're so easily found, like just on the internet. It's not something yeah, that's really it's, too it's, hidden. It's a mixture of amino acids and stuff on it without being... Yeah. You know, that, that's another thing, I suppose, which has changed a lot. Um, we mentioned when I played 20 odd years ago when I first started, and you know, even when I retired in 2000, um, there's no such thing as a sports scientist. I've never heard of the, yeah. the, the inference ever before. And, and I suppose that they are, we, when you talk, Brock, about trying to achieve everything um, and whether, whether or not the media, you know, you know, blow you up just to knock you down, um, I think sports scientists are, are trying to push you on the so much as well uh, to try and get the maximum effort out of their uh, individual sportsmen they can that they will do anything to do that. And whether it's, anything illegal, well, who can say? Because no one knows what goes on behind closed doors, but um, by all accounts, uh, the Essendon Footy Club in, in the AFL, all their coaches are on the peptides, and that's, yeah. just, that's just a vanity thing, I suppose. If yeah. people want to look good and they want to take shortcuts, well, go for it. You know, if it's not illegal, go for it. If you, again, anything that makes you look different or play different or behave differently, it can't be good for you in the long run. It's yeah. going to have some side effects. And, if you want to go down that road, it's an individual decision. Go for it. You know, no one can stop you. Yeah. Like having recreational drugs, you can tell people to blue in the face, mate, that's going to kill you one day, that thing, or, yeah. or that, that stuff. You can't tell them. You just can't stop them. It's, it's up to the individual, you know, so it's... Yeah, well, um, I had an interesting... I don't know where the... I don't know if the government have got something in their back pocket, which they need, and they, they need big time to come out and say, well, you know what? You know, I'll throw you doubters who didn't uh, think we had any concrete evidence. There you go, there it is. But at the moment, it's looking so far removed from that, it's not funny. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with a guy I talked to from America. He's basketball coach over there at uh, one of the unis. And he, he said to me, the mindset over there has now gone from, you know, let's catch them, let's, you know, get all this prevention stuff in to 
they're sort of saying that in 20 years' time, it might be, we might look at this period now, and, you know, America are probably 10 years ahead of us in regards to all this stuff. Yeah. They're going to look at this period with an asterisk because they're just of the opinion over there that sports science, the progression of surgery, like an ACL reconstruction on your knee, they, they're thinking it's going to be as routine as root canal over there yeah, in, exactly. in 20 years. So, I mean, they're no, thinking no, that it may that, get yeah. to the point where, you know, all drugs are going to be legal and they're, they're yeah. just going to throw their hands up and say, well, sports science has overtaken it. Um, you know, let's, you know, it's a free-for-all. Yeah, and, but, but my concern you know, with that... You, do, but, so, well, you know, I don't want to put a needle in your body to make me play better. That's all yeah. you say, then, you, then the, the coaching 20 years can say, well, mate, you're not going to play a scrape because everyone else is. But that, that's, that's the dark side of it. I suppose and if we're going to be realistic, that, that may happen. Yeah, 100%. Um, and my argument yeah, to him... I rang me yesterday the bloke, the same thing. I said, look, he said to me, you know what? Um, Painkillers are a performance enhancing. Yeah. I said, they make me some... He made a good point. He said, well, put this way, okay, you're about to play in a, in a grand final. You've got a, you've got a groin injury. Yeah. Without the painkiller, you can't get on the field. I said, no, I can't. He said, well, that's going to let's improve your performance because you should be able to go and you shouldn't be playing the game. No, that's right. And, and I've always been an advocate of that all they do is make you um, back, they put you back to normal. So if I've got a groin injury, I've torn my groin uh, or I've torn a, 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 a you know, meniscus in my knee, um, if I get a needle straight to the affected area, it's going to deaden the pain so I'll be able to play. It's not going to make me play better, but it's just going to get me on the field. But he makes a good point. I, I'm going to say I'm starting to sway in the way of maybe they are because if you're in a grand final, I wasn't supposed to play. Well, that's, that's, what, that's how it should be. I shouldn't be able to play because of a needle. Exactly. And I'm, this conversation I'm sick of having with a lot of people, like you said before, where it, it doesn't seem how much information you seem to have. You can keep telling somebody they're bad for you, they're bad for you. They just, it's it's a brick wall for some people. They just really don't care. Everyone's in this phase at the moment where you're seeing blokes walking around that are 7, 8, 18 that aren't even athletes that look like they're on yeah. something, you know, and I, I don't think anyone's really worried about the health or side effects long-term, and it doesn't matter how much education they're getting. They're all just looking to... Uh, you know, go along with the flow and everyone seems to be uh, getting onto something. Well, I said I said to this bloke the other day, MG, the guy from America, I said to him, this is going to create a social class. It's going to yeah. be, you know, the kid from the streets, he's going to be the one that puts a needle in his arm because he, he wants to make something of his life. You know, yeah. the other people are going to be the ones that, you know, the middle to upper classes are going to be the ones watching the lower classes yeah. get on all this gear, and pump themselves up so they get a life. It's going to go back to Roman times. In yeah, terms no, of classes, no, no, no. And... I, 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 honestly, it, I, without knowing too much about it, it doesn't hurt him because um, the, the potential for the search for excellence is mind-boggling. Um, how far? How far is somebody willing to push themselves to be better in in the sporting arena? Um, that the answer to that question might lie in how long they live as well. Yeah. Because, well, that's right. Uh, exactly. But, you know, if you're going to keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself and and, you know, even with the Lance Armstrong, I thought, well, you know, at first I thought maybe because he had, you know, testicular cancer and uh, increased his testosterone, then I, I found out all about the blood doping and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's maybe a couple of things have been introduced to the game since I've retired that maybe they look back now and go, they, they've changed their game forever and, they, and they're sports owners and, and wrestling coaches. Yeah, and you know what, like when I first started coaching, obviously moving from playing to coaching, the focus probably wasn't on recovery. Now, everything is recovery. It's all about recovery, getting guys well, on the field. Well, they're a great team, bro. Look, yeah. look what they do. They, they've, they've got a 
I was talking to Brett later today, and he said, and he, said he was um, doing our show earlier in the week, and um, he's a, you know, got a little uh, repertoire going with him. He's a good bloke. Um, yeah. He said, you know, what these, what they're using so many blokes is because they're the blokes that are not bowling, bowling enough. He said, it's not because they're bowling too much; it's because they're not bowling enough. Yeah. Their body's not getting, their body's getting rigid. They're not conditioned. Yeah. When I used to get, when I was, was under fit, I'd go to the nets and bowl a hundred balls. Mm. Now. Under this Paddy Allen's watch, who's an ex rugby union player, um, you go, okay, I'll just for instance say Pat, I'm Pat Cummins. Yeah. Um, I'm only using his name because he's a parent boy. Yeah. Okay, Pat, um, it's 10 to 12. You've got uh, 18, ball, uh, 18 balls to play to bowl. Um, I want you to finish by 12.28. That's how precise it is these days with these young fast players in the Australian cricket team. So. Yeah. The mind boggles to where it's going to end as far as rugby league goes and how big and strong you are. Like, I was a big bloke for a footy player. I was, I was one of the biggest in the competition when I played. Yeah. If I played these days, I'm just another player. Yeah. I'm just another player. And that's, that's to me, the, the evolution of the rugby league player is scary how big they get. And um, when will it stop? Who knows? Well, that's it. I, like, I was at, uh, I can remember about a year ago, our nan had a knee replacement. I said to her, yeah. what are you taking, nan? She said, HDH. I said, okay. So for me, that, that sort of got my mind running. I thought, well, okay, that's going to obviously enhance her recovery. So I'll give you an example, right? Let's say Jonathan Thurston goes down with an ACL round one, right? Yeah. It's, going to, it's going to take him you know, nine to 12 months to recover. Would you be comfortable for Jonathan Thurston to take HGH if he was going to be back in three months? And now, and now this is where we sort of get to the point where we're like, well, what is case, what is cheating? What is performance yeah, enhancing yeah. drug? Where does where is that line? Well, I suppose if it's a medical, you know, I suppose if he's not playing, if he if he's not playing juiced up, um, yep. he's not playing with uh, you know an illegal substance in his body. It was only purely to get his knees better. Yeah. Um, I suppose I don't think we can stop him. See, I, I don't really have a problem with it. Stop because it's going to help an injury if it's somebody. If somebody's got a really bad injury and it's going to help, you know, this cycle back to, back to the paddock, well, I suppose do anything you can. Yeah, it's um, going to improve our product, isn't it, as a game, I, I, I think. You'd rather have him on the field than not on the field. Well, that's right. But then, then the question is, would you do it for a young bloke who's 18 going through the same thing? Well, this is something I said to Brock before. Obviously, I'm not playing anymore due to repeated knee injuries, but... I've looked into what they gave to Anthony Tupo, that invigorated blood in the legs and everything, and I can tell you right now from the point of view of the doctor telling me I can't play again, if something popped up tomorrow and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you're 22, uh, this has come out and this is a way for you to fix your knees and be able to play again, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't probably hesitate. I, at the drop oh, of a hat, sure. I'd want to go back and play football immediately if there was a way to get back. Especially at such a young age, they're not, they're not to be doing the thing you, you love in life because of um, a repeated injury. I... I <laughs> While it sounds um, harsh to be saying it, I think it's you've got to have an open mind when it comes to recovery of injuries. It's it's more so the the, the one or two blokes here who may be on something illegal that, that well, who knows? You know, that's, that's even Carson Expression as well. Yeah. Because uh, the cold hard facts, is been, there's no proof of anybody uh, uh, taking illegal substances. But, you know, if I... Okay, my young bloke's like, just turned 18, um, and... And I'm told that he's got a career-ending knee injury. But then, some, then a sports scientist comes to me and says, "You know what? If he has serum growth hormones in this knee for six months, he'll be able to play next year." 
say that the guys that are cheating it's sport is sort of the, in athletes it's the only injury oh, it's the, sorry it's the only industry where cheating is not a crime i mean if if i cheat if lewis cheats if you know if you cheat if you're seen to be cheating or giving someone an unfair advantage you're going to be through the papers i mean yeah. we're, we're going to be out of a job um yeah so i think if there are people that are proven to be you know obtaining an unfair advantage i think what's that mate you said when cheating is a crime well, yeah, well, you said, is it? yeah I, I mean, you're taking away you're taking away someone else's. Imp- sport is any sport, well, or sports are any industry where if you cheat, you are in trouble. Like, you can cheat. You can. How do we know that the journalists writing stories aren't doing drugs? How do we know? That well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. How do we know that the politicians who are running this country aren't on drugs? How do we know? All this? Yeah. How do we know? That, you know that. We do get victimised because we are a sporting body a lot because we don't mirror society. Um, there's that many young 19, 20, 21 year olds out there on the, on the drink most nights of the week yeah. uh, in scuffles but the one time a rugby league player looked sideways at someone and it happened a couple of weeks ago with uh, Brett Stewart everyone said oh mate he's, he's just been charged with side yeah. because he was at a wedding last weekend and about seven minutes later it was determined that Manly issued a press statement saying that Brett hasn't been charged yeah. um, he, he, his incident happened on January 19th and we looked into it um, and we'll we'll all decide they have no case to answer. Yeah, we want to build them up and knock them down, that's for sure. Oh, we do, mate. And, you know, as, as I'm getting older and as my kids are getting older, I'm starting to realise that it's a, it's a pretty harsh life being a professional sportsman, let alone a professional rugby league player in Sydney. It's, you know, for the 5% who go and, go and make a, a good life or 10% who make a great life after footy out of it, um, good on them. But it's, it's a hard struggle. It's a hard slog. And... You know, I think the average first grader plays something like 43 first grade games in their career. So yeah, which is it's nothing. Not, it's not enough to make a living, is it? No, it's not, mate. So, mm. you know, it's... I, I think we've got to back off our footballers a bit and let them, let, you know, instead of reporting the bad things I do all the time, uh, let's have a look at what the, all the good things they do. Well, I certainly know that in 2013, I'm going to follow my own mantra and try and do that as well. Yeah. And, I mean, as you say, one in four Australians, um, you know, underneath the age of 50... Have taken an illicit drug at some stage in their life. So I mean, we're yeah. not all we're not all angels, as you say. I, I mean, no, one, right. every fourth person you walk past on the street, they've had an experience with an illicit drug. So well, I, I, mean, church block. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's nobody's an angel. No. There is, there are, there are no angels out there are the people who um, pick you up when you're down. And, and for me, if I was a player, right? If I was a player now, and and I was being tainted with, you know, you're on the gear, you're on the juice, you're on whatever. Yeah. Mate, I'd be I'd be peeing in a cup every day and saying yeah. you, you come and you well, can test it, it and you can do whatever it. you want. I think I reckon the players can almost take control of this whole drug issue and just say, look, in the next um, you know player agreement, right? They yeah. say we're going to get someone independent in. Yeah. We're going to have this sort of drug testing. We're all going to buy into it. And then yeah. you know what? There's going to be guys that go, oh, I don't really want to do that. And well, I think that's going to weed them out straight away. That's good. That's good. I like it. That's all. Yeah. If, if Put your money where your mouth is, and the, club, and the game should do it. David Smith, I'm pretty impressed by him. Um, he should say the same thing. We're going to blood test every player in the NRL. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's if... It's going to cost $2 million to do, but you know what? 
if it means making our game a, um, a better game, so yeah. be it. And it might mean point. that they have to forego 1% of their salary, which, yeah. I mean, would they rather forego 1% of their salary or be slandered for the next yeah. 10 years about their reputation, you know? I like and I, I just think happens. if yeah. D- yeah. Dave Smith, I think Dave Smith doesn't carry, doesn't carry the same sort of, I don't know, if Jonathan Thurston came out and said, right, we're going to do drug testing, I'm in for it, let's do it. I think that would carry so much more weight. Like, I think yeah. players would get behind him more. Well, Cameron Smith. Cameron yeah, Smith someone like that. An elite you know, player in our game. Something about the collective bargaining and say, okay, well, what's our biggest struggle at the moment? Yeah. Is everybody willing to put 1%? Or let's say everybody over $100,000, we're all willing to throw 1% of yep. our wage to get us all blood tested and all stick up, stick up their yin-yang and show them that we're all clean. Yeah. The blokes who don't want to get it done, well, they're the ones who have a close look Exactly at. right. I reckon they just should grab the ball, the players. I think it's a yeah. perfect, perfect time. You're even scared to do away too, Dave, if you're young way, because you, you might bog up too much and people might suspect you're doing something. That's, that's you know, exactly right. It's gotten to a point of ridiculousness. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's sort of the last thing that we wanted to, to wrap up on. I mean, for me, the clubs obviously do their testing. Asada does their, their testing. But for me, I'd be doing independent testing and, and coming out and having a press conference and saying, look, we've done yay many of tests. This is what we've found. I mean, if Jonathan Thurston or any elite player in our game, if they peed in a cup every day, right, yeah. they did that for four or five years and then, and then on one occasion it comes out and they say they've got a little bit of cannabis in their urine. Would anyone really care? Oh, no. I, I don't see oh, For me, I wouldn't care. I'd go, well, he's, he's human. Okay, he's he's gone and done yeah. that. That's that's an error on his his part. But yeah, at least no, I know he's not cheating. We're not a case where we get three strikes and you're out. Yeah, well, at least he's not yeah, cheating. You know, at least he's not taking PEDs. Like yeah, I mean, we, 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 we have a very stringent drug policy, and um, I think most players get tested at least six, seven times a year. Well, as it is, in by year on, but if they, I love that idea of just saying, okay, enough's enough. The players' association always seem to be on the front foot when it comes to getting more money. Yeah. Let's, with, that, with that collective bargaining uh, now done and dusted and, and looking good, the average player now gets, you know, the, 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 the lowest paying player now gets 80000 yeah. instead of 40000 but so they've, they've done good. Yeah, exactly. Now, now they're doing better and say, okay, we're going to go one step further to clear our own names because yeah. nobody else seems to want to do it. We're going to have a blood test. Yeah, and, and I guess I can see it from, I mean, obviously doing this now, it's a little bit, I guess, in the media side. I've, I've played, I've coached, so I see it from all angles. And I just think the players could just eliminate all of it and just yeah. grab the ball themselves. I, I, Great idea, mate. I love yeah. it. Um, and, I mean, for me, um, the biological passport, obviously, that's the one that I've done a bit of research over the weekend. That's what FIFA, that's what cycling are now using. Neither yeah. of them have had a drug issue for the last three years. So if we're not going to go with what we just spoke about, obviously, in the CBA and having independent testing driven by the players, if we're not going to go with that, I think biological passport is where we've got to go in terms of our testing. Yeah. To keep yeah. it clean. Does that mean a job with Asda? <laughs> Chuck in with Asana. Uh, all right, MJ. I'll, mate, we've gone well over 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ten, in, 10 in the bin, you've been sent off. So. Yeah, I enjoyed it, mate. Um, it was a good time. And uh, look, I uh, encourage anyone listening to this to check out the boys every Wednesday. I'll have a, uh, a bit of a different feel in the game of rugby league and uh, fully endorse the boys because they're great, great blokes. So have that fun. Most definitely. Well, thanks a lot, MG. And obviously, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch MG six to nine weekdays with the Grill Team, and he's also on Twitter at Mark MG Guyer. So thanks a lot, MG, and we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. All right, brother. See you, mate. See you, mate. Yeah, ciao. 
Alright, so there you have it. There's the first instalment of 10 in the bin with Mark Geyer. We're going to have him on plenty more this year. Uh, hopefully that's given a bit more of an insight to the drug issue that the game is facing at the moment. And as we said, we've obviously gone through two teams so far, so we continue our previews for the year. Good job by you, Lewis. Good job by you. With the Melbourne Storm. Moving on now to the Melbourne Storm, who finished second in the 2012 Premiership, but obviously went on to be the eventual Premiers 14-4 of the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. They dragged their way into the final series last year, obviously after a tough Origin series, but defeated South Sydney in the first week quite convincingly, 24-6, had the week off, absolutely dominated Manly for a spot in the grand final, and then grinded out a fantastic win to become the 2012 Premiers and give Three and Craig Bellamy their first legitimate title after the salary cap scandals. And Brock, what are your thoughts about their finish to 2012 and their upcoming chances in the 2013 Premiership? Well, I, I as you know, I really liked Melbourne um, in towards the back end of that season when they were in that slump. Got them at a good price on the TAB, I must admit. Um, good times. Yeah, and, and they, they really came good. Um, Obviously, the big concern for them is the players going out. They've lost Nielsen, Sikamanu, uh, Richie Fioso, Todd Larry, Kosh, Jason, Quinn, just to name the main guys coming in. Junior Sauer, Junior Moores, Lagi Sedu, Brett Finch. Now, obviously, Craig Bellamy's just re-signed. The big three, they're not very injury-prone, apart from, obviously, Billy Slater with his knee injury last season. That was the first real crack that we've seen out of those three in terms of injuries. Um, in their very long and probably seven-year uh, sort of dynasty they've built down there. They've got some good young players coming through in the 20s. Uh, Matt Duffy's back, which is going to make a huge difference. Uh, however, if they do get an injury to an outside back or a centre, it could hurt them. Um, obviously, the Telegraph's actually listed Brett Finch to be the starting number six in the paper I read the other day, which I almost choked when I read that. Well, that's pretty ridiculous seeing Gareth Woodhouse being chased by different rugby clubs and Japanese rugby clubs for a ridiculous sum of money and I obviously think he's going to be on the radar of a lot of NRL clubs looking for a good half. Yeah, if if, if Brett Finch is a starting six, I'm happy to eat a hat. Honestly, definitely, yeah. people can come and film it. I'll donate the money to charity. Mate, I'll eat my 2012 signed and framed premiership photo and jersey if Brett Finch gets a start at six for us in front of Gareth Whittle. As we've previously discussed, he's there for origin security for when Cronk goes out. Obviously, it'll give him another option in the halves. Um, I, I think, for me, honestly, they've got Bellamy, they've got Smith, they have Slater, they have Cronk, and as long as it stays that way, they're going to be elite, at least in the, in the near future. Um, the only time when they're going to struggle is obviously during the rep season and then on the back of that with the fallout in terms of player fatigue for those players. Um, but other than that, I see them finishing third uh, on the competition ladder. I've only got them at third because... As previously, as we've just previously said, um, I don't think they'll be able to keep up with the likes of the Bulldogs uh, at the top of the table who won't lose as many players to origin. Come finals time, if they're fit, um, I think it'll be them and the Bulldogs again. Um, it's just going to be Craig Bellamy's ability to get Junior Sauer, Junior Moores, Lagi Sedu and Brett Finch up to the standard of the players that have gone at the door. If he can do that they're going to be right up there with the Bulldogs. Obviously, the Bulldogs don't have many roster changes. They've got rid of guys 
um, that probably were fringe players. They've added in blue chip sort of players, so they're going to get better. Um, Storm, they're obviously the the best team in the comp. It's just going to be Craig's ability ability to be able to get those guys that are coming in up to standard in you know working in this big machine that is the Melbourne Storm. Well, being a, a Melbourne Storm fan, obviously, I think for me. I've got them listed at fourth, and I, I may even see them finishing more around the fifth and sixth mark. And I stick with your thoughts that they are always going to be elite. Why fifth and sixth? Well, that's what I'm going to get into. If they do have the big three, they do have Craig Bellamy, they are always going to be elite while those guys are there. But this is really the first full effect since the cap scandal where you win a premiership and you have NRL squad players move on. We have shed some depth, so... Like, you look at Manu and Nielsen, you've lost an origin centre and an international back row. Yeah, Kevin Proctor makes the New Zealand squad. He probably moves straight in and takes that job. Okay, but... And Justin O'Neill or Junior Sow will fill that centre role. But what I was going to get at is you don't touch on the fact that you have Manu Nielsen, Lowry played the whole year at lock, uh, Anthony Quinn played at least 10 games, Fayoso only had a, a short little stint at the end, Cost Jason played more than 10 games. Anthony Quinn played at least 6 or 7 while he was healthy. And Jamin Lowe played most of the year off the bench. I know there's not a lot of flashy names there, but you're talking about decent NRL-type players who have played more than 50 games, and it was a solid squad. Those other players I've just mentioned, like Proctor, O'Neill, move in and fill the gaps. But there's been a nice big chunk there of depth that they've been able to move in that will not be there anymore. They're going to have to rely a lot this year on under-20s players that have been built up for the last couple of years and some blokes in New South Wales Cup. So my only real worry, and I know that the big three don't get injured that often, but they're getting older. Ryan Hoffman's not getting any younger. We're still a bit lacking in the front row, and we are a bit short in the backs. Is just depth. This year is the ultimate example of how will Melbourne go if injuries come with a lack of depth, which is the true effect of the salary cap. Yeah, I, I agree. But, I mean, Nielsen goes out, Junior Sauer comes in. If Junior Sauer is at best form, I think he's a better player than Dane Nielsen. I think he offers, um, you know, obviously more punch in attack. His defence is probably a little bit questionable, Junior Sauer, in terms of his decision-making. Well, that's my big thing about Nielsen. Nielsen was an outstanding defender, and yeah, especially under Bellamy's system. Yeah, but and I think so obviously with the, pre- with the pre-season under Bellamy, I think Sauer is going to be one of the outbreak players this year. I think he, Sorry, breakout players this year, I think Sauer. Junior Moore's... Um, I played with him at Penrith in the juniors, played against him a lot um, growing up. Big man, offload, can step, has a little bit of speed. Timmy Sheen seemed to get the best out of him, um, or got a, more out of him, than, obviously, than what Penrith could. He's now down in Melbourne. I think it's the best spot for a guy like him. Um, he's definitely got a, a lot of ability. He was a junior star um, coming through the ranks. Hopefully he can, he can knuckle down down there and really realise his potential in the NRL. Lagi Sedu, he was a star before he, he left. Well, that's more of that. So I don't really get too much to be excited about ever as a Melbourne fan because we don't seem to really sign anyone, which doesn't bother me because we keep the core of what is needed and then we seem to grow what we need to bring in to stay a consistent force. But if there's a, a bargain by a dollar dazzler that Melbourne have pulled out that I'm pretty happy about, it is Lagi Sedu. I think people keep bringing up the two-year Mormon mission, but, you know, I bet there's not going to be any oohs and ahs when Will Hopawade comes back. Everyone's going to expect him to be a gun. Uh, on top of that, he's not an old bloke. Sedu's not old. He's come back. He's still young, and I think he couldn't go to a better place after two years off. Yeah. And you know what? These guys are cap relief for Melbourne. 
They are cap relief. And that's what I so, mean. But this is my only question. Whatever you think of the, what Bellamy's done in terms of his recruitment, okay, Sayer probably is a little bit of a gamble. But Bennett didn't want him. Bennett moved him out the door. Bellamy probably undercut him, obviously, on what he was getting at the Knights for an opportunity. So, all three of those players, Sal pushed out of the club, Moores pushed out and said he'd come back from a more mission. He had no pull. So all three of those guys are bargain board. Brett Finch obviously came out and spoke very vocally about players chasing money, saying he'd come back for virtually nothing just because he wanted to beat the club. So they picked four up, but my main thing is what I said before. They let almost eight or nine really decent NRL-type players go which just leaves them a little lacking in squad depth. I do obviously follow them quite closely, and I do have big raps on a few of their younger players. In particular, in the forwards, you've got young Tohu Harris, who I think you're sick of hearing about because I keep saying that he should have debuted a million times last year in front of players like Lowe and Riles. He's a, a big body who consistently has played 80 minutes in the 20s and in the Queensland Cup. He's got ball-playing ability, a solid carrier. I, I think all around he's just tailor-made for the NRL. Uh, Kenneth Bromwich, which is Jesse's brother, that can obviously uh, spark something there. I think we've seen with the Morris brothers, and obviously uh, we always tried to get together and have a game. Like it, It's something I think a lot of families do inspire to, and I think they could end up being quite prominent as a pairing. And uh, as far as backs are concerned, there's two other young blokes. Young Tonawapia played in the under-20s origin last year, a fullback winger-type player, had an outstanding year. And Kirizomi Ava, he can still play in the 20s. He's an absolute monster. But whether he can convert to the NRL is yet to be seen. He's, he's a centre-top spot. But those kids I just mentioned, you mentioned 20 players for most teams. You may see one debut. Melbourne probably have about 19 actual NRL players on their books right now. There is a heap of kids that have been banked up there for a couple of years. So this year they will have to blood players and they will have to hope that they don't get injuries to survive. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. My... You know, obviously, biggest concern with Melbourne when I ran the you know the rule over them was prop. Yeah, now, well, a popular theory going into the finals last year or in that slump was that you you could get Melbourne up the middle of the field. You could roll Melbourne in the middle of the field. You know, with about six uh, six weeks to go until the grand final, you probably would have bought into that theory. But they stiffened that right up. They moved Sikamanu in, played him a little bit tighter, played him as their you know second front rower almost. Um, Who's going to be that other other front rower? You're going to have Jesse Bromwich. Jesse Bromwich is the starting front rower. With and Brian, who's the other one? Brian Norrie. Okay. So Jason Rolls out. To me, Jason Rolls should, should be going to get a run. Jason Rolls should be moved. Should have been moved on in my books with Jamie Lowe and Tohu should have been playing last year. Tohu and a other young bloke, Jordan McLean, who's been injured for two years, but they keep re-signing. Yeah, obviously, they're two bookends that are looking to grow for the future. Vavo. Celsi Vavo. Two short minutes. I know he's been down there and he should be fitter by now, but I just see him with too many lapses in his game. He doesn't, okay. he doesn't like play you, enough. Like minutes. you said, who you think is going to play in the back row? I think he is a back rower, but I think for our purposes and our side, yep. with Proctor, he could play prop. Proctor's an international. He's going to be in that Kiwi squad. He was around there last year. And you've got Hoffman. He's going to move Hinchcliffe. him with Hoffman, and Hinchcliffe's going to play 13. Yeah. So as far Hinchcliffe. as I'm concerned. What about Hinchcliffe? He's like, he's he the flies under the radar. He's, he's been brilliant. In Melbourne, he, he Canberra moved him out. They didn't want him. No, but and see, Canberra didn't look any further than him playing nine though when he was there. He's he's been massive for them, and he's 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 only little, and guys run at him all the time, and he just gets in front of him, gets his jersey dirty, plays big minutes, and just fills any hole that Craig Bellamy needs him to. He's 
I think he's really underrated in that system, and I think he'll fill the shoes of Todd Lowry beautifully. Well, in in terms of the Todd Lowry situation, I pretty big fan of him last year. I, I liked the and, and going into Melbourne, the second phase. You play. hated you hated that Melbourne bought him. I did back in the day, but then when I looked a bit closely at the back end of that Parramatta season where they ran hot, he was a big part of the second phase play. Yeah, it's just funny, isn't it? Like I don't know, they they get these players that you you're almost off, you're ready to jump off them, and Craig Bellamy just turns them right around and puts them back on the yellow brick road. Well, that, that's definitely the case. But, yeah, I'm just... I am worried, legitimately, as a fan and, and as a football viewer, taking myself out of the situation. I just look at the squad depth in general. and it's, I agree, but they, I think they've got the best one to 19 in the competition. They do, but so, on top of that, they don't have a, a strong squad all around like everyone well, 20 else. 20-man squad, as depth they're probably the best. Yeah, depth is going to be the issue. So. And you can't tell me, with the game how it is now, they're getting bigger, they're getting faster, they're getting stronger. Injuries are more prominent, especially major injuries. You don't see little niggles anymore. He needs a week or two off. When things happen these days, it's surgery, okay. it's long-term. Yeah, So, but if they, if they get injuries, they're just going to be at the right time for Melbourne. Get them early um, or... You know the guys who actually get injured. As long as it's not your big three, you're going to be pretty much right. You're going to land in the eight. Then if you can be fit for four weeks, you're going to be right. Yeah, we'll touch wood on that side of things as well. They're obviously not getting any younger. I'm not saying they're old, and they obviously haven't had injury problems. But I did see Slater on an interview saying that the PCL issue hasn't been resolved, and they're going to have to manage that all year. Mm. So. That is a concern. I'm not going to be chucking myself in front of a bus and I don't even want to talk about it because it scares me to think that he could go down with something like an ACL. And uh, they're all bordering on the exact same age. They're all turning 29 or 30 this year, I think. And they've played a heap of football. So I'm liking to think that with a, a big break, a lot of them didn't come back until January 8th. They had the whole first eight weeks of training off that they're going to be refreshed and ready to go again. But uh, it, it probably pains me to think that long-term... You're not getting any younger. They are getting older. They are going to play rep football, and they, they will feature in the Kangaroos squad at the end of the year. So, uh, you know, time time is a factor. Age is a factor. I thought last year, and you know I said it to you, that I was sweating on that grand final because I thought that was the last chance Melbourne had to win a title. Yeah. I uh, I, I don't see us winning, well, I, yeah, winning I, the comp, but I do see that happens being a threat. It's funny how you sort of think that, and then the next season starts, and we're in that position now. I, I feel probably better about them this year than I did at the start of last year. I definitely, um, definitely don't feel so. But it's mainly for what I said before. It's the NRL. That's just me. It's the NRL mm-hmm. squad depth for me. I, it's not that I don't trust the kids and I don't trust them to bring them through, but it usually takes a year or two. Usually, I never get one, one kid if you're lucky who kind of breaks out. Like we had Falau, we had Inglis, we had these players that came in when we were overnight successes, but. We could do with a couple of those at the time. I don't see anyone on our books that's going to come out, break out straight away and just be an absolute force in the NRL. Okay. In terms of the odds, we'll move on. Um, for the Premiership, they're six fifty. I don't really see any any value there. Um, top four, $1.50. Top eight, $1.20. We didn't mention um, Manly or the Titans. Um, they sort of don't have much value either in, in, in and around the markets. Um, for Melbourne... You know the best odds you're probably going to get is if they do lose a couple on, in a row, and you might get some decent odds in terms of premiership betting. But um, no, n- not not much value at all in terms of backing Melbourne. That's for sure. So your final thoughts on Melbourne? I've got them finishing third. And then in the finals, your thoughts if they do get in? Ah, uh, again, that's probably a conversation we'll have in 26 weeks. But if they are fit, um, you know, if their squad, as I see it on paper now, is fit come the start of the finals and they land in the top four, they will be very, very hard to beat. 
well, I think more so, I stick by what I said before, squad depth. I've got them finishing fourth. If they do land in that top four, they need to win the first week. They need to have the time off. They do that better than everyone else. Yeah. Everyone, everyone says momentum's a Good factor. Point. It's Good not point. for Melbourne. When Melbourne get in the finals, if you give them that first week off, they're virtually going to book themselves a spot in the grand final. And I don't think anyone's better equipped for finals football than that that side with those three players and Craig Bellamy. And you've fallen straight into what I think Craig Bellamy did last year. Now, it's just a theory of mine. Craig Bellamy got those players back from origin. Obviously, the big big three, the few that played um, State of Origin around them. I think he just gave them two or three weeks off. Well, I they, they then, came out and admitted in the media. He planned their program in terms of peaking for the first week in the finals, which they obviously they did against South. They blew South off the park. Then I think he really rested them up into the Manly game. They obviously pounded Manly. They looked really fresh. And I thought, did you think they played that well in the grand final? I thought it was a different style of game from Melbourne in the grand final. They blew South off the park. They blew Manly off the park. I didn't think they came out with the same game plan against the Dogs. I thought they well, were playing against a, a different bit conservative. Um, yeah, obviously, for yeah, sure. But, but, but they play that. Um, you talk they about, had the only the one week turnaround. That's that's what. Yeah, but I'm you thinking. talk about the scraps in our forward pack. We were going up against an all you know an all elite forward pack yeah. in the Bulldogs. Oh, the whole game was based around it. But you see the principles of going to Melbourne and what every player needs to do to be in their seventeen is defence. And Melbourne knew they were going to concede meters, but they scrambled. They stopped the Bulldogs from scoring and they frustrated them all day. They frustrated into errors. They let them have metres and they got excited a lot, but you, you can't beat great scramble defence and you can't beat red zone defence. And Melbourne are the best team at getting back-to-back sets, building pressure, back-to-back sets, building pressure, just staying patient. They're well, incredible. I didn't count the first try that Ryan Hoffman got, but I think we would have had at least five repeat sets before we crumbled in for that no other, No other side could have done that to the Bulldogs. They didn't. No, no other side. Have, but... On that day, no one, no one would have done that. Well, there's our thoughts right there. You've got them penciled in at third. I've got them penciled in at fourth. Whether they're a premiership factor once they get in the finals is a different story, but they're most definitely a top eight side. I, I don't think... I think if there's one team every year, especially for the last five or six years, that you sit down and you start to write your top eight, Melbourne's probably the first thing that comes to mind. They're going to be in your top eight somewhere. Okay, Cameron Smith goes down round one. Out for the year. Mm-hmm. Can they make the eight? I still think they can with the other two, but out of the three... Or if, if Kronk goes down. That's what I was about to get to. If you ask me who's the most important player out of the three, it's Cameron Smith. It all starts from the nine. Yeah. But I will say one thing. I don't think Kronk gets anywhere near as much credit as he deserves. I didn't look too deep into it until the last week or so. Last year, he was probably more effective than Cameron Smith, but didn't get anywhere near as much praise. Well, I'll look at the Titans now, and I think if we got Cooper Kronk, we're a top four side for sure. With that Ford pack, I agree. 100%. With young Caesar, uh, yeah. what could have been for the Gold Coast Titans, I'll tell you. I know, but I still think you buy Kronk, you need to pretty much let him sit down with Cartwright and let tell him what system he wants going. Yeah. I think if you're going to buy... That's a conversation for another If you day, buy but... a player like Smith or Kronk, if they ever landed either one of those two... Cartwright would virtually have to sit down and give way to some of their thoughts. You can't. I, I don't, think he I don't did think that he can, with Prince anyway. He did that with Prince. I don't think sure. he can bring one of those guys in and just go, "This is how we play our football." You have to pretty much hand the reins over to him and say, "What do you want to do? What, yeah. what we've got and, here?" And I think that's how that's how it was working under Prince anyway. Yep. All right. Well, Brock's got him in Melbourne at third. I've got them at fourth. Moving on to the last team for this podcast, the Newcastle Knights.
Obviously not the greatest start to Sir Benny's tenure at the Newcastle Knights, finishing in 12th place in 2012 after being billed as one of the favourites for the title, which is probably a bit of a joke, to be honest, from the tab and a bit of a beat-up purely because of Wayne Bennett, the master coach, moving to Newcastle. Um, I think that Newcastle fans were a bit over-optimistic and obviously Wayne Bennett, a great thing long-term, signing a four-year deal, I think it was, with a Tinkler owned organisation, but uh, the players that he brought in were only just a start of what he was after, and obviously he's done a big clean-out this year and brought in a few more to kind of get to where he wants to be for 2013 and the style of game they'd like to play. But, uh, Brock, what do you think about their 2012 campaign? Uh, 2012 was just one of those years for Newcastle. They never really got any fluency going. They couldn't string uh, back-to-back wins together. Um, obviously losing Kirk Gidley was a big loss for them and then they just lacked some depth towards the back end of the year looking forward to this year I, I think uh, again they've they've lost some players, they've lost Zeb Taya Wes Naguama, Kyle O'Donnell Joel Edwards, Irvine Tumavave and Junior Sayer but the players they've brought in, Bo Scott David Fartalogo, uh, Jeremy Smith and Anthony Quinn BJ Leilua, another one um, they got Gang Dane Gay Guy halfway through last year, who I think is a very, very good player. So I think things are on the up in Newcastle. And on top of that, Travis Waddell, obviously training with them now, with Badiris being down with an injury, who's a, a pretty handy backup nine. And they've got Chad Redman, a nine from their under-20 side, who's highly touted. And Tyrone Roberts, who we mentioned earlier from the trial form and the way he finished up last year, Wayne Bennett, uh, went. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 